Welcome to the One Up Revenue Podcast, podcast for cross-functional sales team, whether you're in sales, marketing, or customer success. This one goes out to all the hustlers on the phones each and every day, slugging it out. Whether you're adding net new logos, expanding revenue from your sold base, or renew existing accounts, we're here for one thing and one thing only, to drive revenue. One Up! I'm your host, Jackson Lil, a top funnel sales dev strategist and an everyday frontline practitioner. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. Five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the One Up Revenue podcast for the opening theme. And I got an exciting guest, two years in the making, <laughs> but he's finally here. Uh, this is the godfather of the early SaaS stage startups. He is that trusted advisor. Uh, he's the owner and founder of the Harris Consulting Group. He is also the co-founder of Surf and Sales, and I believe you guys have a podcast too as well. So shout out to you, Scott Lees, and everything you guys are doing over there. Five years, AISP Top 25, S Salesforce 2021 16 Top Sales Influencer. Please give us a warm welcome for the one and only Mr. Richard Harris. That's probably the best uh, intro I've ever gotten. Uh, and by the way, when you say two years in the making, have I, I I haven't been blowing you off for two years, I don't think, I hope. Oh, no, no, no. I, I've been I've been chasing you. I just saw uh, micro deposits, what I, I meant. Sure. I, I, I took the long walk. I'm super accessible, and I don't want people to go, wow, Richard must be a dick. <laughs> take two years to get on Jackson's show. Like, no. So Okay. Uh, I'll, go this, I'll go on anybody's podcast, by the way. So I'm happy to do it. So. Okay, uh, I take that back, guys. For some clarification, um, the way I saw it is that I like to do micro touches, just keeps top of mind for a while. And um, Richard's actually someone I've been chasing for quite some time too. Really? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, just little that's micro cool. doses, micro like touches, waiting for the times right, and then that's when I had to like bam, reach out. So it's nice, it's man. That's cool, smart. I like I like the fact that you created yourself a process, uh, which I know we'll talk about in sales, but um, that's smart. That's that's a really smart way to play. Although I think you could probably, I bet you could shorten it by about, you know, 20 months. You don't need to go two years before you Shout out to our guy, Ralph Barcy too, out of the way. He could actually validate this. I did the same process to him too. He's like, yeah. oh, really? Okay. Now it makes sense. I was like, yeah. 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 Well, um, Richard, thank you for coming on the One Up Revenue podcast. Uh, we're super thrilled and happy to have you on here. Um, this show is your episode. Uh, we have nothing to do with it. We just want to learn, uh, pick your brains on your insights. But for our listeners here, uh, for some context, uh, it is geared towards originally just SDR and BDRs. Uh, ge- geographic, demographic-wise, they're in the States, age 29, 34. Uh, we're all evolving and growing to AE's path as we speak. But um, for our listeners, would you mind just sharing us a brief background about who you are, what you currently do, and how did you end up in the SaaS game? Um, so, uh, so, okay, let me, sales trainer, startup advisor, sales ops person. Um, I've always been in management. I've always wanted to be in management. I've always wanted to be in sales. So I'm different than a lot of people. Most people I know fell into sales because it's all the other things just didn't quite work out. And then they realized that, wow, I could actually make some money. Hey, I don't need a college degree. Um, 
you know, I like it, which is often sort of the, the biggest piece. Um, and so anyway, so I'm different in that regard. So I always knew I was going to be in some level of business. Um, started my company about 10 years ago, 2011, 2012, um, based on uh, a startup I was working for, um, was going through an acquisition and, and I was hugged out the door. They didn't need me in that role anymore. Um, did not think I was going to be a consultant at all. Uh, went through the interviewing process, uh, had a lot of runway thanks to the company that, that let me go. They gave me a lot of severance and, and health care so my family and I could be comfortable when we went through this journey. And then ironically, some person called and said, hey, can you help us with something? And I said, sure. And I threw out some ridiculous number. And they said, okay. And it was in Austin, Texas. So I'm going back and forth to Austin for four weeks and uh, flying back at the end of the first week, I sit down on the plane next to this guy who's in suede shoes, blazer and jeans. And I'm like, this has got to be a startup guy. And it turns out it was Nick Maida from Gainsight. Um, so that's how I met Nick. And at that point, Gainsight was uh, 15 employees. And the next thing I knew, I had two clients. Each client was paying me 30 days each. So I had 60 days of clients and I was making the same amount in 60 days as I was making in six months. Um, I looked at my wife and I said, the world's telling us something. I called up my buddy, John Barrows, who I'm sure you know, uh, hope others know him. I said, dude, what do you think? He's like, it doesn't happen this way, Richard, go for it. So I did. And so I just evolved my business. And the easiest way to describe what I do is, you know, I teach reps how to earn the right to ask questions, which questions to ask and when to do it at a sales training perspective. I also offer management leadership coaching. I also offer um, general startup advice, sort of advisory board stuff, um, sales process creation, et cetera. So I'll stop talking about me um, and let you take back over. No, no, that was fantastic. So hold on, hang on now. Originally you were working at a SaaS startup. Yeah. Um, things didn't work, work out the way it did or maybe it did. And they said, hey, Richard, you know, Thanks, thanks for all your work, my CEO. Here's the severance package. <laughs> and you're, no, you're basically no, was like, like you know, in the moment, like, you know, in the moment, those things hurt, right? Um, yeah. I didn't even know it was an acquisition at that point. I didn't know about the acquisition until about two months later. Um, but once the acquisition came down, it was a company called Mashery, got bought by Intel, et cetera. Intel didn't need one more person like me in the role I was in. They didn't need one more sales ops person. So um, that's just the way it works, you know? Now, it hurt. It was painful. I didn't like it. Like I said, they hugged me out the door. They did an amazing job. Um, I credit them a lot. I wouldn't be able to have done what I did and be where I am had they not given me that right way. In the moment that hurts and it sucks and you're angry, you got to go through all that, right? That's normal. Um, but one door closes, another opportunity opens kind of a thing. Um, yeah, that's sort of how it happened, you know? And, and the cool thing is, is that that's my story to tell. I was part of a company that got acquired. Nobody needs to know about how the sausage was made that I was necessarily laid off or any of those things, unless I wanna tell it. All they know is I got acquired, I'm on my next gig. So that's the piece that's really important for people to understand is own your story, right? Someone gets acquired, great, part of your story. Right? Goes on your LinkedIn profile, master acquired by Intel. Oh, okay, okay. Let's take a step back real quick, if that's all right. Um, there's a lot of people out there that goes through these kind of experience for whether it's acquisition or a company restructuring, whatever that may be, uh, especially for the people who are fairly new, 
um, you know, maybe a year or two, and it's a crushing, crushing blow. What are a few things they can do to own their story, accept it, and move forward, if that if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the first thing you have to do, though, is you have to wallow in that shit for a while. <laughs> you you kind of, you know, and I say this about sales training, too. Like, you know, you don't handle objections. You marinate in them. Ooh. When someone throws you, hey, you know, I'm not sure the time is right. We are, we're naturally taught to, great, well, when would the time be? It's like, oh, what's going on? What else are you guys working on? Tell me, like, not that, that I'm going to convince them to change their mind. But if at least I ask that question and I understand what's happening, I'm now paying attention to Jackson. I'm paying living in his world and his mind. And then when my boss comes to me and says, well, here's what's happening. I can't make them change because they got these six other things they got to do to their system. But now I have an answer. So you have to spend a little time marinating in it. So you got to marinate in that you know, disappointment, depression, anger, frustration, sadness. Maybe there's some joy in there. Maybe it's like, great, I'll go find a better place. Cause that's what we want anyway. If this place didn't work out, I want better. I don't want to go back to the same old place where I wasn't valued. Um, so I think you, you spend time in that. Now to your answer your question for me, and I had to go through a lot of job transitions in my career. I was able to keep a routine. So I would still get up every day at seven. Now granted I was married, had kids. So there's a little bit of a routine built in for me. Mm. Still oh, have to get up in the morning. I got to help the kids get to school. I'll get up and go do the gym thing before I help get the kids up for school. Uh, go help do that. I then apply, start applying to companies, and I go through my job search piece, and I do that from eight thirty ish to twelve thirty or one, and then I'm done. I can't spend all day looking for a job. That's freaking depressing, right? <laughs> so, um, so anyway, now there's a lot of well, it depends. You know, if you're like struggling to make rent or bills or whatever well maybe you do have to do a full day of jobs or like i got it i understand um i'm just telling you have a routine have a process something that you can walk into i'm going to get up i'm going to work out i'm going to get up and i'm going to have my breakfast i'm going to do this i'm going to do this and then i'm going to start doing this from you know eight to eleven maybe you're a morning per- maybe you're not a morning person maybe you need to sleep till 10 because you've been grinding for so hard Okay, <laughs> give yourself a week to go sleep it out, right? Maybe you're better off applying to jobs from 10.30 to 2.30, right? There's no time in the day that you're going to best apply for something. Anyway, so I'm going to pause there because I'll get long-winded. No, 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 fantastic. <clears throat> so find a routine, stick to it, and uh, attack when you're most, uh, you know, in the zone, if that makes yes. sense. Okay, um, Richard, let's, let, let's just get to this. So deep discovery um aes you know friendly new or not we all been to a shitty demo nothing that's tender mm-hmm. relevant uh when it comes to earning the right to asking the right question so we have like the sdrb drs who earn the right there but what does a good discovery look like or until you know is there anything you can share with us like in the beginning break the ice vice versa yeah so i teach a thing called a respect contract uh some folks have heard it as an up as an upfront contract from Sandler, um, mine's was slightly different and skewed um, because I think there's a couple things they miss out on. But for me, um, you know, there's time. I'm conf- here's how it goes: time, goals, agenda, potential outcomes, um, a mini contract or social contract, 
and then a transition statement. So here's how it goes for everybody. So Jackson, don't break the role play, but you're my customer, okay? Oh, fantastic. You got it. And just before we started, we've agreed to have this meeting. Yes. So. Yes. I'll, I'll, how about this? Um, I'm from 10 Bow with David. I don't care what he's saying. <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter. So it's irrelevant. <laughs> no. um, all right. You ready? Yeah. We're not yeah. picking a role play. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Hey, Jackson, it's Richard. How are you doing? Hey, Richard. Doing great. Thanks. How are you? Great. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Um, I've got us down for 30 minutes. Does that still work for you? Yes. Yes, it does. Great. Any hard stops? I just want to be conscious of your time. Uh, no, I, I don't believe so. I've been looking forward to this. So thank you. I appreciate you asking. Sure, sure. Of course. What I will do, though, is at 25 minutes, we're going to just call a timeout. And we're just going to figure out where we are and if we think next steps are warranted. Does that work for you? Yes. Yes, it does. So and just so you know, Jackson, you know, my only goal this conversation day, I just want to understand what you're trying to accomplish. I'll probably ask you some questions. And likewise, I want you to ask me any questions you want so that we can make sure that if we're going to keep talking it's a good fit uh, if at any point jackson today or in a future conversation it's not the right fit feel free to say so i promise you're not going to offend me okay fantastic thanks Great. Richard. i appreciate that sure and, and likewise um i'll do the same if i find that i cannot support what you're trying to do i'll be the first to tell you and i'll even tell you who you should talk to um, oh no way yeah so so that way i don't have to send out you know, reaching out, checking in, touching base emails that I know you hate getting and I hate sending. So all that sound fair to you? That sounds fair to me, Richard. Thank you. Great. So what makes you even want to have this conversation today? Yeah, you know, to be honest. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> oh, my God. So, okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Richard Harris right there. That has been real time, deep discovery. Wow. So, well, that's that's me earning the right to ask questions, right? Okay. That's my respect contract. So my goal, you know, we first confirmed time. I said, hey, we're going to save five minutes at the end because we've all been in meetings where we ran out of time to set in to figure out what next steps are. So that's why that's done. Okay. Then I talk about the goals. And the first meeting, the goal of any first meeting is let me just, you feel me out, I'll feel you out. Right? Had an agenda. You're going to ask me questions. I'm going to ask you questions. We're going to decide where we're going to go from there. Then, then we created the, the ultimate respect. We created a social contract that, look, if it's not a good fit, either one of us can say so. Nobody's in the power position. They can't control me. I can't control them. We're just trying, two people trying to have a conversation. And finally, there's a transition statement. How do I get out of this respect contract to go into qualification and discovery? And that's where I cut you off, Jackson. Damn, so, Richard, thank you. That was uh, that was phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> so we have time, go, agenda, uh, mini contract, social contract, and then transition. Is that potential outcomes, and then a social contract? Potential outcomes, and then social contract. Okay, right. and you know, I um, just to say something. We all we all seen it. I what I felt there coming from you know as I me as a potential prospect i felt like this is something that we're trying to figure it out together something mm -hmm. that we're trying to see is this right or not rather than just yep. nailing on the head hey so yep. where are you trying to go do you have authority are you the decision maker budget da, 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 da. um it's more like hey look i'm a human being and so are you 
let's see if we can figure it out. Yep. Damn. There you go. Richard, um, <clears throat> let's jump ship a little bit, if that's okay here. Yeah. Uh, sales methodologies. There's a lot of them, right? Uh, just a Sandler, Spin, Medic, MedPick, whatever. Um, the one on my computer. What, what, uh, are, are there any kind of sales methodologies that you do? Is that what neat selling is? Yeah, is that what it is? And just then, yeah. So um, here's the honest answer. Nothing has changed in sales since Mesopotamia. Not one thing has ever changed. Everybody's trying to just figure out their way to make a name for themselves, which is what I did. That's where I came up with this. That's, and that was, that was the whole genesis of it was I just trying to differentiate myself. And so NEAT stands for need, economic impact, access to authority and timeline. There's not, you know, that's different verbiage of saying the same thing. I'm a huge proponent, and I say this all the time, and I think people are shocked. If you're a medic shop and medic is working for you, you don't rip and replace medic for neat or challenger or anybody else. If medic isn't working for you and you rip and replace, you better know that it's not working because one, it's possible it was not the right methodology. However, if you're not coaching to it regularly, I don't care if it's neat or spin or challenger or medic or med pick or any of them, nothing's going to work for you if their management's not coaching to it regularly. So for me, neat selling for some people became a philosophy. For some, it's become a methodology. For some, it's become a process. And it's up to my customers to decide. So if someone's knee deep in medic or challenger, neat becomes kind of a bolt on that you don't necessarily have to track in the CRM that, hey, here are the kind of questions we should be asking to get to economic impact, <laughs> right? That's how, for me, that's how it works. And it's up to my customer. Now I have several customers who've gone in and put NEAT into the CRM. Um, and that's okay if that's what they want. But that to me is sort of what I believe that I think all these processes and methodologies matter um, when it's the right one and you're willing to coach to it. You aren't willing to coach to it, none of them are going to work. Ah, so find what works for you. Mm-hmm. Shake it in the box. You got neats, man, medic challenger, mm-hmm. and make sure you coach on it. Yeah. Makes you successful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm very different. Like, so, you know, like I know Keenan really well. He loves to talk about gap selling and why gap selling is the whole thing that matters, right? And that's cool. I love Keenan. I love his attitude. You know, yeah, medic, was, yeah, same was thing, right? Force management, great. Like all these shops are really good if you're willing to spend the time and adapt and adopt, right? So that's why I'm different than everybody else. And I'm also, you know, one of the things that I see that's a massive colossal waste of time is that a new head of sales or VP of sales will come in and they want to rip and replace the process because they feel like they need to put their stamp on things. That's what I did. You know, I've done this and I got hired to do this. Again, maybe that is the right decision. This new head of sales is coming in because something else wasn't working or, hey, we need to refine what we're doing. So I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying it's not always the norm. And if I, people ask me to help interview for, you know, uh, a VP of sales. Hey, Richard, will you talk to this person? I'm like, great, show me your 90 day plan. And they come in and they're like, hey, I'm going to rip this, replace this, and I'm going to put this in there. And we're like, hey, why are you going to do that? 
What does it, do you know if it works or not? Why do you want to spend your time doing that? Maybe it's already working and you should just be on the phone with calls with customers, <laughs> right? So, and that, by the way, I'm very snarky on podcasts, so I wouldn't say it that way in an interview, by the way. <laughs> I, no, I be, love this. This, this is uh, great. Keep, please keep going. But those are the things you should be looking for as you're looking for sales leaders or you want to be a sales leader. Be able to say, I don't know if you should rip and replace because I don't know enough about what you're doing yet. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. I don't know yet. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, so I'll pause there again. You, you tell me what's up. Yeah. No, Richard. Um, <clears throat> I love this. This is exactly what a real leader is, right? So I'm going to throw a scenario at you if it's all right. So SaaS startup, <clears throat> Series A. Uh, they had, you know, SDR, BDRs, whatever, and then AEs that was there for years and worked their way up the ranks. They got funded Series B. It's time to get serious. So they bring on a new head of sales, just like you said. And this guy said, same scenario. You know what? We're not going to do this. We're going to scratch everything and go there. Um, what kind of internal friction does that typically cause? Because they're going to sit there and go, wait a minute now. We've been doing this for years. What's changed? Why now? You know, for, for the new head of sales, what what can they do and be like, help me better understand and just uh, come in well, as the I'm new guy. But I understand the scenario. I'm the new head of sales and I'm asked to come in and, you know, solve things or improve things. Doesn't mean anything's broken or whatever. Just something just needs to shift. And the question is, how do I get my executives to buy in on what I'm doing? Or is the question... How much should I try to do? Like, how, I'm trying to understand where you want me to answer. Oh, uh, yes, please. Sorry, yeah, that was pretty broad. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, um, what can the new head of sales do to be successful at this? Uh, which is pretty much the same. Yeah, well, I think I think part of that comes up through the interview process. Like, you don't get hired unless you said, hey, what are you trying to solve? Like, Jackson, if you're interviewing me, you know, you're gonna, you know, and you're the you're the you're the company, and I'm the manager, you know. I'm probably going to come in and interview you, Jackson. Say, Jackson, what is it you need to accomplish in the sales team that's not working today? Right. When you say, and you'll probably come up with it, well, you know, we need to go faster because, you know, we just got all this funding and VCs and blah, 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 blah. Great. What, but what, what does that mean you want to go faster? Like, are you saying that the current sales process is broken and you need to fix it so that you can scale? Are you saying that, hey, we think the process is right. We just need to audit it. And then we just need someone to spend time with the team. Like, tell me what it is you're trying to accomplish. So for me, a lot of this is determined in the interview process by both parties. Now, I don't think either party knows how to ask those questions or they have every desire to wish to ask them, but nobody's taught them how to ask them uh, in some And that's nobody's fault. That's just the way the world works sometimes. Like who here has gone, tell me a, a VP of sales who went to an interviewing class. I don't know any. <laughs> I don't know any of them who ever been to an interviewing class on how do, how do I be interviewed as a VP of sales? <laughs> Nobody called them shit. And their ego drives them. Yeah. As with mine, like, I'm, and by the way, I'm not above the fray here. Like I'm no better than anybody else. I just have a purview of like, oh, I can see what's happening because I'm not stuck in it, right? Like I'm not emotionally attached to these things in some ways. So anyway, I'm going to pause there. Yeah, no, thank you for clarifying. So it, uh, for real effective individuals, it should have been 
uncovered in the interview process and not after, right? When they come in right. and then they start doing that and then like, holy crap, dude, what do yeah. we do now? Shit, yeah. uh-oh. We and I think I, now I will, let me go back and give a little bit of credit. I do think a lot of founders know that. I do think that when you go from series A to B, you know what some of your pains are. You may not know all of your pains, but that's the reason you're interviewing someone who does know those pains. So I don't think everybody walks in totally stupid as much as I may have made. Sense, <laughs> right? um, I think that's just a really important piece folks need to acknowledge in that this is what we're all trying to accomplish and how do we do it? And it does happen. It may not happen as, I think it happens a little bit more organically than maybe it could and maybe it should. I'm not sure if it should change, but it could possibly. Got it. Possibly should. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Richard, just before we uh, kind of jump, jump the ship here uh, in terms of Uncrush, uh, yeah. let's talk about sales, sales forecasting. That's all right. So what are a few best practices that you see AEs are doing today to forecast their upcoming pipeline? And what are a few mistakes that they're doing uh, when it comes to forecasting? The biggest mistake people are making in forecasting is they're not asking the right question. They're too busy chasing. They, they're chasing the decision maker. I don't need to know who the decision maker is. I already know. I already know it's a committee. And I already know I'm not going to talk to the actual person who signs the check until the very end. So what do I need to know? I need to know who the skeptic is. I already know, Jackson, if you and I are talking about sales training, you know, we're going to get to the end of the call. I'm going to be like, hey, Jackson, so, you know, would you like to have the next meeting? What's the first thing you're going to tell me, Jackson? I got to go what? <laughs> uh, I got to go talk to my boss. There you go. I got to go talk to my boss. I got to go talk to my team. Right. Which is fair. We shouldn't be surprised by this. We know it. Yeah. So what if I what if I turn around and you give me that answer? And I say, hey, Jackson, that's cool. Hey, just so I know, how does your boss like to look at these things? When you bring this to your boss, Jackson, what are they going to be skeptical about? So maybe I can help you, assuming you want to work with me. What are the things I can give you if you think they're going to be skeptical? So I want to know who the skeptic is. I want to know what they're skeptical about. And I want to know what you need for me to work through that skeptic. I'll get to the decision maker. I'm not going to get there on the first call. So stop trying. So that's, oh. that's, so that is now it doesn't mean you shouldn't try to identify it. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. It doesn't mean you couldn't ask about who's going to do it. But what I really need to know is who's going to be the blocker. Who's going to be the most skeptical. Every person I talk to goes, Oh, I got to take it back to my team and get their feedback. Great. Who's grumpy Gus on the team. Who's your most skeptical person. Oh. What is, what is Grumpy Gus going to say about this? Because <laughs> that's who I need to convince, and I'm not in the room. Okay. So. Quick question, dive a little bit deeper. So finding the individual who's our most skeptical, or um, quote-unquote, we like to call him Mr. Nice Guy, the Grinch. Uh, finding the Grinch. Uh, does this Grinch have to have some sort of authority on top of them that could use a block, or could be anyone? I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't think so. Their authority is that they're just grumpy, right? <laughs> like there's a look, there's a, you know, it's, there's, there's the, you know, when you sell in certain spaces, particularly as you get into enterprise, you know, IT may not make the decision, but if they've got to go through InfoSec and security, they can say no, they can't say yes. 
but they can say no. So it's not all the power is not necessarily related to the title and the role. I'm sorry, to the title. It could be associated with the role. Yeah. And in fairness to IT, that is their job. Their job is to say, yeah, this passes our security concerns or it doesn't. And they have the right to be skeptical about it. There it is. Finding the block, skeptical ones. And then breaking that barrier earlier on so that you know that if this is something that we're proceeding or not based on what they say. Yep. Damn. All right. Um, Richard, I, I know we just ran out of time, but how are we doing on your end? Um, I'll leave that ball to you real quick, if that's all right. We can keep going. What's up? Okay. Fantastic. Let's talk about Uncrush. Um, mental health. You know, a lot of sales professionals out there go through specific uh, life inside and out, uh, myself included, about a year or so. Uh, <laughs> so what is Uncrush? Yeah, it's a good question. Uncrush was started by a friend of mine, Tim Clark, uh, previously at Salesforce for about 10 years. And he had his own struggles of mental health. And in sales, we are all often supposed to go crush the number. However, sometimes the number crushes us when we don't make it. And so he created this organization, this nonprofit around let's help salespeople talk about this because we're not supposed to talk about it. We're not supposed to talk about our losses. We're not supposed to talk about our mental health. We're supposed to be perfect all the time in sales. So by the way, for those who are listening, Jackson just threw down his Squid Games card. I, I, I think he won a hundred thousand dollars on that. <laughs> so, um, I was just happy anyway, about that. So, so Uncrush is a nonprofit. We talk a lot. We share a lot of stories. I my stories on there about how I made depression my superpower. There are people who are, you know, grown-ups. One woman shared her story of uh, her husband and brother-in-law. Uh, were in a terrible auto accident through no fault of their own. They both passed away. She all of a sudden was the mom of two or three kids and going through all that. And she became anorexic bulimic. And you hear those things, you hear that type of phrase. And you, for me, you often think of, you know, high school girls or college women who are, you know, still trying to figure out who they are. You don't think about someone who's a mom all of a sudden going through this challenge. And, you know, we have people talk about suicide. We have other people talk about alcohol or drug abuse. Um, and it's a safe place for people to say, hey, I'm a human and I'm in sales. So if you ever go to uncrush.org, we're a nonprofit. One, we'd gladly accept any donation you can make. We, we greatly appreciate it. But go read the stories so that you know you're not alone. There's resources there. There's resources for you. And, and yes, there's the National Suicide Hot Prevent, you know, Prevention Hotline and all those things, but there are other things around depression and alcohol abuse and um, uh, everything in mental health, right? Cutting, you know, just different things happen and we're human. Um, I know another guy who, who worked at Salesforce and, and he had um, uh, not in a, he didn't go sleep around, but he had a sex addiction and he had a whole thing with, adult websites and it was it was a problem but and but he was very successful it's probably one of the most successful people i've ever known financially but he now shares his story and it's not about what he was doing it's not about the titillation it's about like 
my mindset and I was addicted to this thing and it was caught making me unhealthy and causing my life to be unhealthy and my wife, you know, just like these things. And so we go and we, we want to share and bring these things to fruition. What's also available too is last year we did a report called the state of mental health and sales. And we asked about 800 salespeople, a bunch of questions. Um, you can find it on my website, the Harris Consulting Group, just Google uh, state of mental health and sales 2021. And we, and we ask questions differently. We would ask questions of, hey, when you were at your best performance, what was your manager doing for you? When you felt like you were connected with your managers, what was your manager doing? Damn. This is way better than, let's talk about your deepest and darkest, biggest deal you ever lost and how'd you feel sad about it? <laughs> that, that stuff is in there. That, but we were very conscious to ask these questions of, Let's catch ourselves doing the right things, not the wrong things. And then we can build a culture around the right things. And the answers were really interesting. Um, when people were most successful, they had vision with their organization. They were, um, they had the proper level of autonomy, which really means not micromanaging. They had, uh, they felt like their employer, their bosses were vulnerable and would share their own experiences, whether it was life or sales or business. Those are the things that drive great leaders, which then means you've got a healthy company, which then means your salesperson is really healthy and wants to perform because that stuff matters. Now, it can't all be squishy and gooey and love and, you know, you know, care bears and rainbows you still have to have direct conversations, but it's a whole lot easier to have a direct conversation if I've been vulnerable as a leader. If I've said to someone, if I've ever said to my team, guys, I just wanna tell you the story about the time I put up a zero. And I just want you to know, I'm not here to, I will work with you to help you. I just want you to know that I've been there. And when you feel like you're struggling or you think you're gonna go there, come talk to me. We'll, we'll work on working it out. We'll figure something out. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to not have to, that, I, that they don't get fired after three months or two quarters or a year of not hitting numbers. But my hope is that because I build a dialogue based on my vulnerability, if I go vulnerable first, then it, you get closer. It's a little bit like who says I love you, right? In a couple, right? Someone's got to say it first, right? And, yeah. and it's okay. And you should be nervous about it because you're not sure. You think they feel the same way. You know, you, know, you just never know. Um, but once you do, it creates a greater sense of, of in, a, in a relationship, intimacy. I don't mean intimacy in a business, but a business relationship can be intimate and close and in an appropriate way. Like I, I'm very conscious of the Me Too movement, so I'm, not, I'm trying not to like be inappropriate. I hope I'm not coming across inappropriate. You, you can have close relationships. They don't have to be your best friend. They don't have to be your mommy and daddy, but you can have trust. And so for me, when I can build that as a leader, that supports mental health. If I'm an individual, I have to recognize that everybody's got mental health. And it's interesting to me that people will spend so much time on their physical health, which we know 100% attributes to better mental health. But how often do leaders sit down and actually talk about how is everybody doing this week? How's everybody doing with the whole thing in the Ukraine this week? It's been a couple of months. Let's talk about it for 20 minutes. Everybody okay? Anybody have a story they want to share? You know, I saw something on the news last night. It really affected me. 
right? And it just, I don't know if anybody else is there yet. You don't have to be, but I just want you to know we can talk about this stuff. It's same thing where, you know, for Black Lives Matters, when situations come up, I've worked with so many companies where there's one or two people of color on the team and everybody else, you know, we're mighty whitey, right? Like, and I'm a straight white guy, so I know. And through whether it's fault or guilt, or maybe it's just nobody's ever taught them. Nobody's ever taught them to pull, you know, to, to bring someone aside and say, look, you know, I just know something happened. How are you today? Are you able to focus? Do you need some time? Do you need to go talk to your family? I know it's like, you know, the Trayvon Martin thing just happened, you know, yesterday. Like, you sure you want to be here? It's okay. I'm happy if you want to be here. Maybe you want the distraction, but like this affects you and you got to own it and you got to talk about it. And it's okay to be uncomfortable about talking about it. And I, I have said this to many, I said it yesterday to a woman, sorry, I'm, ran, I'm rambling, but I said it yesterday to a woman and, and uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I decided to find a couple of people to mentor who were people of color because I felt like they just didn't have that to them. And maybe they do. And I didn't know, fair enough, but I put it out there. Hey, if anybody knows a person of color, wants some coaching and mentoring and sales, I'm happy to do it. One woman I work with regularly, and every time we get on to advice, I'll say, well, here's what I think. However, I'm not a black woman. So you, who should you go talk to to get that perspective? Because I'm a white male. And she really appreciates that because she knows that, it, that I can offer great advice, but I can't give, there's just, I just don't know. And so when leaders can do that and leaders can be vulnerable and say, hey, I'm here to help you and here's who I am. So if you want to find someone else also to help you, you won't offend me. In fact, come tell me what you learned because maybe I can learn from that, right? So anyway, I'm going to pause because I just unpacked like 25 things and, you know, see where you want to take this, Jackson, so. Oh, Dale! Put your hands, ladies and gentlemen. Ah, oh, Dale, okay, shit, okay. That was probably one of the best insights and speech I've ever heard from a real leader like you. So what we're hearing is a real leader sits back, takes a look around him, is aware of his current situation, and he asks you, how are you doing, to let you know so that, so that you can feel safe and that this is not a place where, yeah, we got business needs you gotta hit your kps you gotta you know drive revenue that's that's what you're that's what you're hired that's what you're paid for but real leaders are the one that sits down and go hey you know i noticed that your kps dropped quite a bit you kind of seem a little bit off let's talk a little bit rather than saying you know i'll write you up or uh i'll put you on a performance make more phone phone calls yeah yeah They'll sit and say, Richard, what's going on? Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. Oh, it's a great question. And the great, for me, the simple question is, is the world affecting you in a way you'd like to talk about it? Because I don't want to pry too hard, but the world's in a really, I mean, it has been for a long time and it probably always is in a weird, interesting place. I think my generation certainly grow up with these kinds of conversations, but I think the millennials and the Gen Zs are, 
And creating that safe space, as you called it, Jackson, is really critical. And you can say, look, are you sure you're okay? Look, I, there's a lot going on on, you know, um, you know, the whole Supreme Court hearing thing, right? And how that sort of just turned stupid, ugly for no reason. And then the Ukraine situation, and we got midterm elections, or maybe you got a, a, someone who's sick in the family, like, how are you doing, Jackson? Like, there's a lot going on in the world. And I know your numbers are down. Like, is it, is it just, hey, you're in your slump? Or is it like, well, actually, I, I, I do have some stuff. And, you know, if you want to share it, Jackson, you're welcome to. You're not required to, Jackson. It's okay. You have to do it. And by the way, and for me, and again, it depends because everything's been so remote for so long. I try to have those conversations on a walk and talk, not, you know, behind me behind the power desk. Walk and talk. Tell us more, please. Just like, you know, if I'm going to have a one-on-one where we're not reviewing the pipeline, right, where I'm just, you know, we're going to talk about career guidance or something they're trying to work on, or maybe it's something personal. I want to get outside. I want to move the body. So the data shows that when you go for walks, you actually, it's as valuable as going for a run. It gets your blood moving. It gets your mind going. It releases serotonin in your brain. So if I'm going to try and improve and work on something, I want to be in a good mindset. And I don't want to be stuck on the power position of the desk where the employee comes in and it's creating a power dynamic. On a walk and talk, anybody, nobody's really in control, right? Yeah. And, and it's interesting because in a walk and talk, you don't have to look at somebody when you're talking. I got two kids. Uh, again, I've done a lot of therapy. There are going to be times if you don't have kids or when you do have kids, maybe you know this. Sometimes the best conversations are the ones that are in the car. Like if our, our, our you know, we've taught our boys, they can ask us all kinds of questions and, and, and you know, about life or money or um, girls and relationships. <laughs> and, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're 12 and 13. So they're at that age oh. and, and they're curious. And so, it's already awkward for them, kind of awkward for parents to have a conversation a little bit, not always, hope. But if I do it in the car, they're in the back seat, I'm in the front seat, I don't necessarily have to make eye contact, but I can have a very sincere and honest conversation with my kids. And so it's less of a power dynamic, right? Or if I go from outside and walk around with my son and talk about something, same thing. So that, that's what a walk and talk is. It's meant to remove the power dynamics Get the blood circulating, allowing for some creative flow to creative juices to flow. Yeah. Um, you a fan of Jim Quick? What's that? Are you a fan of Jim Quick? Don't know. Quick learn. Uh, he's an Asian guy, brain guy. He talks a lot about uh, creativity in terms of white space. Uh, and he said mm-hmm. where you get most creative is when you go on a walk because your mm-hmm. head enters this um, alpha state of mind where the you know brain hurts, kind of going this where you get creative, so to say. Um, but Richard, just before we wrap things up here, I just want to ask real quick here. Um, I just want to figure your thoughts. So you're up there in the SaaS game. You've been here for a very long time. Uh, you know, as myself too, I, you know, love like top funnel stuff. And like, as a visionary and strategist, you know, constantly thinking about the upcoming new gen now, Gen Z, you know, young, they, you know, li- listed as spoiled, observed, whatever. And, um, Sometimes they're just like, very... just like millennials were. <laughs> I mean, just like Gen X was. We were called lazy, by the way. Yeah. Gen X was called lazy. 
<laughs> Neither. It's the same song. It's just the next verse, folks. Okay. Um, I'm curious to pick your brain. So mm-hmm. <laughs> talk about sensitivity here, right? Uh, and, and you got kids you mentioned. So let's talk about the future state of the uh, SDR, BDR, just, just for kicks. You know, what are your thoughts of like, what will the new gen look like? Because when you come into this role, you're cold calling. Some of them never, you know, some of them never pick up a phone call to make that specific type of call. Some of them never even heard of what a cold call is. Like, what are your thoughts? What are your, just to foresee in the future here, I don't know, four or five years out, the new gen of SDR, like, what, what would you, what do you see that it would change from today? And well, I think yeah, it's I'll just stop there. It's yeah. a really good question. Um, this is a belief system. I don't know that it's true. I think the SDR role will enhance through the AI based on the tools like Gong and Chorus and Outreach and Salesloft. Um, there's a tool out there called Reggie that can already do that. They can actually write your sequences and cadence. Reg.ai. No shit. Um, yeah. R-E-G-G-I? R-E-G-I-E. Reggie.ai. Um, the founder is Matt Millen, who used to be at Outreach. He was the head of revenue at Outreach, so he knows his stuff. Um, he also was head of worldwide sales. He'll never tell you this, but he was head of worldwide sales, legit Tony Robbins. So he understands that whole NLP stuff that Tony Robbins does, as well as motivating people, the human psyche, the brain. Then he has the data side coming from Outreach and the multitudes of touches and then he's got a very smart tech IT person who does, you know, his own, uh, who really builds the product where Matt's the, the revenue leader. Um, so I think the role will shift where we have to be smarter. I think we already know that you have to be tech savvy. Um, it yeah. doesn't mean that you shouldn't try and take someone who's not tech savvy and teach them. I think you should. I also think the role is going to get harder for people to recruit for because the population is just not there. We're already seeing it now. I don't see, unless we go through some other crisis, if, if the Ukraine turns into a world war, God, everybody pray it doesn't. Oh, shit. Or we, go through, or we go through another major pandemic where the world just halts and people just stop, then I don't see there's going to be enough SDRs literally to fill the seats. No way. Yeah. Wait, wait, hang on. Just to take a step back, if that's all right. Um, are you saying basically on, uh, you know, birth and stuff? Like, like decline in, I don't know what, what's the right I mean, way to say. What I, what I mean is there's going to be more roles with open slots than there are people to fill them. So Got it. Okay. <laughs> now that coupled with the fact that you've got to be smarter than just picking up the phone and making cold calls means it's it's going to take more effort to train the people better. So for me, if I'm an SDR and I'm starting my sales career at whatever age you're at, and I believe me, I've talked to people in their 40s who are leaving one career to come to sales, you know, self-educate. That's probably the other biggest piece that's different is that the more you self-educate now, the smarter you're going to be. You know what? Go read and watch videos on Reggie. Go read and watch videos on Gong, Chorus, whatever it is. Reggie, you're, you're, you're a sales loft person. Go watch five videos about HubSpot. 
go see if there's a perspective that it can give you self-educate because that was not easy for me that was not hardly even possible other than a book self-educate reggie.ai damn richard thanks again so much for coming on is there anything that we miss uh before we wrap this up here that no, to cover it or no, I think my, you know, my only ask is for people to go to the Harris consulting group.com and sign up for my newsletter. I promise it's not uh, overly garbage uh, content. There's a little bit of snarkiness. If you like my snarky attitude, you'll find that in the newsletter. I send it out once a week. Um, you're welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. If you want, you can call me 415-596-9149, 415-596-9149. I give my phone number out all the time and nobody ever calls me. So <laughs> funniest thing. So uh, it, you can text me. It's my legit number, by the way. It's not some ghost number. It's not yeah. some Gary V. Keenan. Oh, text me and you probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's me. It's me. It's legit. Oh, you know, it's funny. I always thought about that. I remember. I, I, I'm not going to spit the name. I saw some SDR leaders out there that did that with a large following. I did. Just, I just tested them and I, yeah. I you know, texted yeah. them. No response. I went to their blog page, right? Yeah. And I, I submit a blog. I said, "Hey, I shot you a text. <laughs> Nothing." So I'll, I'll just stop there. Um, yeah. Richard Harris, thank you again for coming on the One Up Revenue podcast for sharing your insights and strategies when it comes to deep dive discovery, meat selling, and uh, insights, and uh, you know, just uh, mental health. Everybody, please take health. care of your mental health. It's super important. Ask someone you love about how their mental health's going. There it is. Thank you, Richard. We appreciate you. Thank you for coming right. on. Thanks, Jackson. Appreciate you having me. Fantastic. And I...